Morning blues, blues, how do you do? Good morning blues, blues, how do you do? Babe, I feel alright, but I come to worry you. Christmas, but my baby back to me. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, thank you very much. You're listening to The Jazz Focus. My name is John Clark, and we are here on WETF, the jazz station in South Bend, Indiana. Happy to be back again. And we're picking up where we left off last week, I believe. We talked about New Orleans. We're doing a, sort of a, a, a three-part show based on the albums that were produced for Decca Records in 1940 and 41. These are uh, were some of the first jazz albums ever made. They were initiated by a man named George Avakian, who was directly responsible for the first one, which was a tribute to Chicago and the jazz that came out of Chicago in the 1920s into that a few weeks ago, and uh, he produced that when he was really just a college student. He went around and uh, recorded the musicians. He uh, didn't want to release earlier records, at least not at that point. Later on in his career, he became known for uh, doing reissues for Columbia Records, among others. He was responsible for the first uh, four uh, albums that came out in tribute to the Louis Armstrong Hot Five and Seven. He came out with a series on Bessie Smith and Bix Beiderbecke and so forth. These were uh, all during the long play era in the 1950s, uh, but what we're talking about today uh, was still back in the 78 era. And so each of these three albums consisted of six 78 records with two sides each, so 12 sides apiece. And they were newly recorded with one exception, which we'll talk about in just a minute, uh, all having to do with the theme of the day. So we talked about Chicago jazz. Then he actually gave up the project. He was, a, as I said, a college student, and he found out how much money a record producer could lose. So he uh, asked to be released from the uh, production of the next two series, which he had proposed and basically set forth. Uh, we talked about New Orleans jazz last week. A man named Steve Smith was the producer for that. And uh, we heard some great music by Louis Armstrong, Cindy Bechet, different people like that. And this last one is uh, based around the music of Kansas City, and it was produced by Dave Dexter, who was a journalist in Kansas City in the 1930s during the Prendergast regime, which was uh, sort of a wide-open town uh, of the sort that New York had been a little bit earlier, run by gangsters, where the entertainment uh, industry was really run by the underworld. And musicians generally, when talking about times like this in, in Kansas City or Chicago or New York, uh, were not exactly... Uh, horrified by the idea of being employed by gangsters. In fact, many of them said that that was some of the best employment there was. They were protected, they were paid well, the, uh, the uh, uh, employment was dependable and uh, generally safe. Uh, so there were uh, quite a few musicians from that period who had very good things to say about some very bad people. And uh, same was true in Kansas City. This was music that came up in, from the mid, mid to late 1920s all the way into the late 1930s uh, and the swing era. These were musicians uh, active in what we call the territory bands. And these were bands that operated outside of the major urban centers like New York and Chicago and even New Orleans. Um, they tended to have a base in a place like Kansas City or St. Louis or uh, Detroit or, or different places like that. And then they would travel within several hundred miles uh, radius around there and they would do work for a good part of the year traveling in that area, maybe occasionally going to a larger city to make recordings because uh, recording centers were generally uh, located in one of those big cities, um, for the most part, and uh, they would uh, develop a very significant local reputation. Now, a very small percentage of these bands were actually recorded, but a very large number of musicians, for example, from the swing era, particularly African-American musicians, came out of these territory bands. And in Kansas City, the bands of the mid to late 1920s that were most famous in that area were led by Benny Moten, uh, Walter Page, 
Georgie Lee, Jesse Stone was a little more down in the Texas area, but they were all operating on the same plane. And then a little bit later, you had bands led by Count Basie and Harlan Leonard and Jay McShann. These were groups that came out of that area, um, the Missouri area and so forth around there. They were uh, they tended to be uh, very influenced by blues bands and riff bands from that area, and they, they had a very heavy leavening of blues in their repertoire. And they appealed not only to African-American audiences, but to white audiences as well, some country audiences. They played a pretty wide range of material. So we started out with the two recordings that had been made prior to this project for Decca Records. This was the only band that had recorded uh, for Decca beforehand, and so they decided to save a little money by using a couple of things that had already been recorded and released, and those were by the Count Basie Band from 1937 and 1938. Now, Basie, by 1940, when these other sessions were made, was no longer uh, under contract at Decca. He had moved over to Columbia, so he couldn't be engaged to make new recordings, so they used the old ones. We started out with Doggin' Around, and went to Good Morning Blues. Doggin' Around was a tune by Edgar Battle and Herschel Evans. Herschel Evans was the tenor sax soloist we heard first. In fact, all four saxophonists uh, in the Basie band were heard at one point or another during that recording. Uh, we started out with Earl Warren, who was the lead alto player. He played a bridge on the first chorus. Then uh, Herschel Evans took a solo. There was a short solo by Jack Washington, the baritone sax phone player. And then a little bit later, we heard Lester Young, the other tenor sax player. And this band, uh, Basie band from that period was really built around those two tenor soloists. Lester Young had a lighter, much more airy and uh, melodic uh, approach to jazz, whereas Herschel Evans was from the older school of Coleman Hawkins and the Texas tenors, so-called, with that very deep, rich sound, very, very immersed in blues tradition. And so that was a tune that uh, was an AABA, uh, sort of a pop tune uh, form, even though it was based on a series of riffs. It was probably a head arrangement. Basie's band, as well as many bands from the Southwest, played head arrangements. Many of the musicians were not uh, very good music readers, and so they would just sort of evolve things over the course of nights, weeks, months, what have you, into a pretty complicated form, such as we just heard on Doggin' Around. We also heard a great piano solo by Count Basie. Then we went to Good Morning Blues, which was a blues tune by Count Basie and Eddie Durham, who was one of his arrangers and played trombone and guitar for him. We'll hear a little bit more about Eddie Durham later. And the singer, Jimmy Rushing. Jimmy Rushing was known as Mr. 5x5. Five Five. He was a great blues singer, but he also sang wonderful ballads and uh, up-tempo numbers as well. And this was his signature tune from this period, the Good Morning Blues. He had recorded a similar tune for Benny uh, Moten in 1929 using some of the same lyrics. These were very typical uh, lyrics uh, in the blues tradition in the Southwest. And we heard Count Basie again on piano, Buck Clayton on trumpet, and the whole band. I should also mention at the very end of Doggin' Around, heard a little bit of clarinet. Uh, that was also by Herschel Evans. He picked up his clarinet at the end of that. There are a couple of live recordings of Doggin' Around which went on longer, and they had some longer out choruses, and it had even more clarinet in there as well. So most of these musicians had been active in the Kansas City uh, tradition in the 1930s from the Count Basie band. Count Basie himself had played uh, piano with Benny Moten's band. Benny Moten was the piano player in Benny Moten's band, but he was more of a ragtime stylist, and uh, he, he fronted the band and, and did the business and the, and the schmoozing and all that, and he brought in Basie, who was a much more effective jazz pianist. Basie, in his early days, was a great stride pianist. He had learned from Fats Waller and James P. Johnson, and uh, he played very, very adept stride piano, which is a technically very difficult music. And uh, 
Later on in his career, he pared down his style by the time we get to 1937 and 38, which is when Good Morning Blues and Doggin' Around came from. He uh, had been uh, playing a much more spare style, which he was noted for, which went along with uh, the rhythmic ideas of the band, the all-American rhythm section of Count Basie, Freddie Green, Walter Page, and Joe Jones, which was stylistically uh, really the model of the rhythm section for the swing era. So we're going to go to uh, another band which recorded two tunes uh, for this Kansas City album. These were recorded on November 11th of 1940 in New York. And in fact, uh, there were six tunes that were recorded on that day by three different bands, although there was a significant overlap of personnel in there as well. We're going to hear uh, Pete Johnson's band. Pete Johnson was a a very fine boogie-woogie piano player of the day. There were quite a few uh, boogie-woogie piano players who came out of Kansas City and Chicago. Pete Johnson, Albert Ammons, Mead Lux Lewis. This was a, a, a dedicated sub-style of jazz and jazz piano at the time. It was blues-based, very party-oriented music. And Pete Johnson was uh, probably one of the best uh, exponents of that. He was a bo- fine boogie-woogie player, of course, but he could also do other things. He could play good jazz and ballads. He was an excellent accompanist, as we're going to hear coming up as well. And his playing was uh, really uh, quite remarkable uh, in a lot of ways. And he had a long career. He uh, he lived uh, into the 1970s and was still recording fairly frequently into the 1960s and so on as well. So on this band, uh, we're going to hear uh, some very fine Kansas City musicians. The tune we're going to hear, first of all, anyway, is called the 627 Stomp. And the band in here is Hot Lips Page on trumpet, Eddie Bearfield on clarinet and alto saxophone. He plays the clarinet solo. Don Stovall is on alto saxophone. He plays the saxophone solo. The great Don Bias is on tenor sax. Pete Johnson on piano, John Collins on guitar, Abe Bollar on bass, and A.G. Godley on the drums. And this band will also be heard with a few substitute, or actually a few subtractions on the next tune to follow, which is called the Piney Brown Blues. Piney Brown was a um, kind of a legendary figure in Kansas City as a bartender, and uh, this song was composed by the singer we're going to hear, Joe Turner, Big Joe Turner, who had a long career after this as well, and we'll talk about him a little bit later. I'm going to be doing a podcast on Joe Turner coming up, so if you're interested, please go take a listen to my podcast, The Jazz Focus, which can be heard on anchor.fm as well as on Spotify and several other places as well. So it's the same band on the Piney Brown Blues, except uh, no Eddie Bearfield or Don Stovall on that one, so a slightly smaller group. Then we're going to go to two tunes uh, by exactly the same personnel on the same date, but this time uh, led by Hot Lips Page, the great trumpeter and vocalist, although he doesn't sing on these sides. We're going to hear a tune that had been composed by uh, Count Basie and Eddie Durham for the Benny Moten Band, uh, which they recorded in 1932. This is a small group version of this tune called Lafayette. And then we're going to end up this short set with one of Benny Moten's uh, signature tunes. This was uh, one of his big hit recordings of the 1920s, so uh, important for him that he actually recorded it twice at the early 1920s, about 1923, and then later in the decade as well. And this is a, a, a tune that's become a standard for jazz bands um, and even country western bands, and it's called South. So we're going to hear four tunes from essentially the same group, November of 1940, 627 Stomp, The Piney Brown Blues, Lafayette, and South.
Kansas City. Girls and everything is really all right. Say the boys jump and swing until broad daylight. I was standing on his teeth and vines. Yes, I dreamed last night. I was standing on his teeth and vines. I shook hands with Piney Brown. And I could hardly keep from crying.
So there we had a couple of sessions from the uh, November 11th, date of 1940. Uh, we're going to hear another session from that same date with a different personnel, but those four tunes were done with the same personnel, just two different leaders. So we started out with Pete Johnson's uh, band, and this was... Uh, uh, in the style of a Kansas City jam band. If any of you have ever had the opportunity to see the Robert Altman film, Kansas City, I think that's one of the few jazz films that actually got the music right. They used younger musicians, this was in the 1990s, uh, playing in their style, but they captured the, the ethos of the jam session and some of the back hours, you know, cutting contest atmosphere in these uh, Kansas City uh, establishments in the 1930s that uh, were written about quite a lot uh, by um, journalists and people like Dave Dexter who produced this session. So we heard uh, on that particular recording, of course, Pete Johnson on piano. We also heard Don Stovall on alto saxophone. He was uh, known for his combo work in New York around this time. He would go to work with Red Allen's band. Red Allen, uh, after he left the big band field, uh, started uh, fielding small combos in the 1940s. Initially, they were along the Dixieland New Orleans line, but he sort of morphed into a late period swing and almost a rhythm and blues type of band where he had himself and J.C. Higginbottom on trombone and Don Stovall on alto saxophone. And they produced some really uh, interesting, exciting jazz records in the, in the early to mid-1940s. We also heard Eddie Bearfield on clarinet. Eddie Bearfield had played for the Benny Moten Band in their classic uh, sessions in, session in 1932. They came to New York, and they were just about starving. They had no gigs, they had no food, but they had a recording session, and they put down a whole series of tracks that really kind of set the standard for the future swing era three or four years later. And... Uh, uh, Betty Bearfield was a key member of that band playing clarinet and alto sax. We heard him on clarinet on the 627 stop and a little bit later on uh, one of the Heartlips Page tunes as well. We then heard Big Joe Turner. He wasn't big at the time, just plain old Joe Turner, I guess. Uh, he had come up in Kansas City singing blues. He was a, a bartender for a while, and uh, he and Pete Johnson established a partnership uh, on records and in live performances that extended into the 1960s. And Joe Turner had quite a career. As I said, I'm going to be um, doing a podcast on him coming up very shortly. Probably by the time you hear this show, it'll be up on Anchor. And it's going to be some late period, well, I guess mid-period Joe Turner stuff from the late 1950s. He had started recording in these Kansas City type bands in the 1930s and uh, by the 1940s he was uh, known as a rhythm and blues singer and by the 50s he was doing things like Shake, Rattle and Roll which were really influential in the early rock and roll movement and uh, he continued his career singing music like that but periodically he would go back to more traditional blues and in 1959 he made two albums with great jazz musicians like Coleman Hawkins and Lawrence Brown and uh, uh, Selden Powell, Jimmy Nottingham, people like that, and Pete Johnson as well, and we're going to be featuring those on my podcast. So, with Piney Brown Blues, it was mostly a vocal-driven tune. Uh, Joe Turner wrote that song, and uh, or he's credited for having written that song, and we can hear quite a bit of Hot Lips Page trumpet in the background, backing him up. Hot Lips Page was a, a really unique jazz figure. He was born in Dallas in 1908. He lived a very fast life until 1954 and pretty much burned himself out, but he was known as one of the... Uh, really stylistic uh, swing trumpeters. He had uh, started recording in the late 1920s with Benny Moten, also with Walter Page's Blue Devils uh, out of Kansas City. He was known as a bluesy trumpet player, but he could play as close to Louis Armstrong in terms of, of majesty and, and 
just passion as anybody, and he was not somebody other trumpet players wanted to tangle with in a jam session. Um, he came east uh, before Count Basie's band. He was playing with the Basie band at the Reno Club in the middle 1930s, and the Basie band was discovered by John Hammond, who was listening to a radio broadcast one night in about 19, late 1935, early 36, and the Basie band came east to Pittsburgh first, and then Chicago, and then New York, and of course made its mark uh, with those Decca records, a couple of which we heard earlier. But Hot Lips Page had made a pretty bad career decision. He left before the Basie band was discovered. Uh, he thought he was going to be uh, marketed as the next Louis Armstrong. He actually signed with Armstrong's manager, Joe Glazer, and it's been uh, proposed that Glazer just wanted to kind of keep him under Armstrong's uh, shadow, so he didn't uh, didn't represent a lot of competition. But Page uh, came to New York, made quite a few great recordings. He also led a big band for a while, and he led marvelous combo dates all through the 40s. And this was one of the uh, ones from 1940 that produced these two tunes that we're going to talk about now. First of all was Lafayette, which, as I mentioned, had been recorded by Benny Moten in 1932. And we heard some wonderful playing by, first of all, Don Bias on tenor saxophone, one of the great tenor saxophone players of the day. Uh, we also heard, of course, Hotlips Page on trumpet, uh, Pete Johnson on piano, and uh, uh, Don Stovall on alto sax as well. Then we went to South, uh, the tune that uh, was probably Benny Moten's most popular composition and recording, and that featured Eddie Bearfield on clarinet, Don Bias on tenor sax, of course, Hot Lips Page, and Pete Johnson as well. I should also mention uh, A.G. Godley, the drummer, was featured on Lafayette. He was a very... Uh, underrated drummer. He didn't uh, record with any particularly major bands, uh, did combo work and things like that, but he was a very fine rhythm section player as well. So we're going to move on now to uh, two sessions uh, that were, of course, also made in November of 1940. All of this was done uh, pretty much right within uh, a couple of weeks of each other, with the exception of the Basie tunes. We're going to hear a uh, or two sides that were recorded by Eddie Durham's band. Now, Eddie Durham, I had mentioned, was uh, one of the composers of Good Morning Blues. He had been a key member of the Benny Moten band, uh, especially in the 1932 band. He wrote a number of the tunes. He wrote a lot of the arrangements. Uh, when he decided to leave the band, um, Moten had already passed away, I guess, and Basie was leading the uh, remnants of it, and uh, Basie asked him to uh, contribute some tunes before he left, and he did. He composed a few and arranged a few, and then a few years later, when he heard the Basie band, he realized they were still playing the tunes that he wrote, and he wasn't getting credit for them, and he wasn't too thrilled about that, uh, but Basie made some amends by hiring him back, and uh, from the mid-30s, or late 30s, 37, 38, uh, Durham played with the Basie Band, playing trombone and electric guitar, which was unusual at the time. He was one of the first to use an electric guitar in a jazz setting. There were some Western swing players who had done so before him, but he was influential in that way, and uh, Charlie Christian, I think, uh, looked to him as a bit of an influence as well. So Durham, uh, after leaving Basie, then went with the Jimmy Lunsford Band and started uh, composing and arranging some wonderful tunes for them as well. These two recordings we're going to hear were by a combo uh, that he led. No personnel in common with the uh, two sessions we just heard, the two different bands, even though it's the same day. I don't know if it was the, a different studio or what, but definitely a different group. We have Joe Keyes on trumpet. He had played with Moten and Basie in the early days. Willard Brown and Henry Smith are on alto saxes. Um, actually, it's Buster Smith, I believe, on alto sax. Uh, he was a, a legendary... Um, 
saxophone player uh, from Kansas City who had played with Walter Page and Moton and Basie and so forth, and uh, he was considered uh, an avant-garde player of the day. Charlie Parker was supposedly influenced by him uh, in the mid-30s when he, Parker, was coming up, but we're going to hear a couple of alto solos by him. Lem Johnson plays tenor sax um, and any clarinet, although I don't think there's much on here. Conrad uh, Frederick is on piano, Eddie Durham, of course, on guitar and does the arrangement, Averill Pollard on string bass, and Arthur Herbert on drums. And that is the group right there. A good small group swing, three saxes, a trumpet, and a rhythm section. And we're going to hear two tunes right now. We're going to hear I Want a Little Girl and Moton Swing. Moton Swing, of course, was Moton's uh, theme song, and Basie took it over as his first theme song. And uh, I Want a Little Girl was a ballad performance uh, from 1930 by Mencher and Mole. It was made famous by McKinney's Cotton Pickers, but many of the Kansas City bands recorded this. Basie did it. Also, Lester Young had a wonderful uh, clarinet uh, recording on that with the Kansas City Six, but we're going to hear that Eddie Durham and his band do that. From that point, we're going to hear two tunes by Mary Lou Williams' band. And this is a small group that was taken out of the Andy Kirk big band. We'll talk about that uh, when we get to that point. But I'll tell you the two tunes we're going to hear from them are Baby Deer and Harmony Blues. So our four-tune set today, right now rather, is I Want a Little Girl, Moton Swing, Baby Deer, and the Harmony Blues. <laughs> Thank you. 
So there we have a couple of recordings from November of 1940 and uh, the uh, Eddie Durham and Mary Lou Williams contributions to the Decca Records Salute to Kansas City Jazz. So we started out with uh, Eddie Durham and his band, as we talked about. We had I Want a Little Girl, which featured uh, Joe Keyes on trumpet. And uh, he was quoting from the traditional solo. I guess you'd have to call it traditional. It was 10 or 11 years old at that point. As I said, that had been a tune that was a hit for McKinney's Cotton Pickers. And uh, supposedly Joe Smith, the legendary cornet player, played on that recording and played a solo very much in that style. If it wasn't he who did that, it was someone who apparently was imitating him because that was supposed to have been a famous solo that he did. We also heard Lem Johnson on tenor sax and Conrad Frederick on piano on that particular cut, I Want a Little Girl. And then we followed that up with the theme song of the Benny Moten Orchestra and also uh, of the Count Basie Orchestra in its early days, Moten Swing. That was a tune that was based on a pop tune called... Um, you're driving me crazy. Several of the tunes we're hearing today were based on other things. I neglected to mention the uh, tune Lafayette by uh, the Hot Lips Page Band that had been uh, done by Benny Moten earlier. It was actually a knockoff of a Fats Waller composition called The Minor Drag. So there was a lot of appropriation that went on here. On Moten Swing, we heard... Uh, Mostly alto saxophone on that one. I believe there were two different alto saxophones soloing. I think Willard Brown was the first one. It was a little bit more straight ahead. And then after that, there was a longer solo by a, a, a saxophone player who was a little more searching, and I think it was Buster Smith on alto sax. Took some very interesting liberties with the harmony and moved things around quite a bit as well. So that was uh, an example of a legendary uh, Kansas City jazz musician. Then we heard Two Sides by Mary Lou Williams in her band. Now... Uh, as I said, this was a group of musicians who were playing together at the time with the Andy Kirk Orchestra. We're going to hear a couple of sides that they did for this album as well in just a few minutes. We heard Baby Deer, which was a tune that uh, was an early recording by the Benny Moten Band. We can see how pervasive the influence of Benny Moten was on this whole album, and it's... Uh, suitable because his band was by far the most popular in Kansas City for many, many years until uh, Moten died uh, suddenly and quite young. And Then we finished that up with the Harmony Blues, and the soloists we heard on there were um, Mary Lou Williams' soon-to-be husband. Within a year or two, she would marry the trumpet player, Harold Shorty Baker, and they uh, were together for a number of years. In fact, uh, uh, Mary Lou Williams traveled with him when he joined the Duke Ellington Band, and she even arranged for the Ellington Band in the mid to late 40s, although she obviously did not play with them. So we heard uh, him. We heard Mary Lou Williams featured extensively on piano on both of those. We heard a clarinet player named Ed Inge. I always thought his name was Inge, but I've heard it pronounced as Ing, I-N-G-E, which it is, I do not know. But he was a fine clarinet player who had made many good recordings with the um, Don Redmond Band in the early 30s and uh, had played with other groups as well. We heard uh, on tenor sax a man named Dick Wilson, who did just about all of his recordings with Andy Kirk or related bands. He was a, an outstanding tenor sax player, and if he hadn't died young in an auto accident, he probably would have gone on to greater things and be much better known. There was some rumor that at the end of his life he had been hired by Benny Goodman to come in, which would have been unusual to hire an African-American musician to play full-time in a white band in 1940 or 41, but it was starting to be done. Of course, Goodman was on the forefront of that, having hired Charlie Christian and Cootie Williams, and before that, Teddy Wilson and Lionel Hampton. We also heard 
as I said, Mary Lou Williams, and uh, she was probably one of the most underrated pianists of the 1930s. She was an excellent stride player, but she was also a composer and an arranger, and she tended to play uh, with a very searching style, and her arrangements and compositions were outstanding and became influential on the next school of jazz, the bebop school. Dizzy Gillespie and uh, Bud Powell and Thelonious Monk all spoke very highly of Mary Lou Williams and looked on her as a mentor. So now we're going to hear the full Andy Kirk band and the last two tunes of the Decca Kansas City Jazz Album. So these were made uh, in uh, 1940 as well. These were from uh, November 7th of 1940. And there are two tunes that we're going to hear that were fairly common in the Kansas City canon. First of all, we heard the 12th Street Rag by Uday Bowman. Um, the Moten Band, I believe, recorded this. As I said, Benny Moten was known as a ragtime piano player, and yes, he did record this, actually. He would, uh, even after Count Basie joined the band, he would um, periodically come down and uh, play a ragtime feature for the older folks in the crowd, I guess. They, uh, uh, you know, uh, relish that style from, uh, from that earlier period. And uh, this is not a ragtime arrangement, though. This is definitely a swing arrangement, as is the next tune after that. The Count was composed, or which was composed by a man named Tommy Gordon, and I don't know anything about him. I did an internet search. Can't come up with a thing. Uh, so I don't really know where that comes from, but this is a good swinging arrangement as well. And these were recorded, uh, two of the three tunes that Andy Kirk recorded on November 7th of 1940 for DECA. His band included Clarence Trice, Shorty Baker, and Harry Lawson on trumpet, Ted Donnelly on trombone. Uh, Henry Wells was also on trombone. He had come from the Lunsford Band, but the solos will be by Ted Donnelly. John Harrington had been with the um, Kirk Band for about 12 years already. He was playing clarinet and alto sax and uh, baritone sax. Rudy Powell was a good Harlem musician. He was from uh, New York, but he's playing clarinet and alto sax. We have Dick Wilson and Ed Ing, or Inge, on tenor sax and clarinet as well. I believe the clarinet solos on these tunes, if uh, we get to them, are by Ed Ing, although John Harrington was a capable player, and he played most of the clarinet solos in the early days. The rhythm section is Mary Lou Williams with Floyd Smith on guitar and electric guitar, one of the early electric guitar players and big bands, Booker Collins on bass, and Bedden Thigpen on drums. Uh, the singer with this group, who was not on either of these titles, was June Richmond, who was a great, uh, great singer from that period. So we're going to hear The Count and Twelfth Street Rag by Andy Kirk and his Twelve Clouds of Joy. Thank you. 
So there we have Kansas City from the Decca recordings of 1940. We just heard the Andy Kirk Band uh, played two tunes. We actually started with the 12th Street Rag and then went to the Count. And those featured arrangements and piano playing by Mary Lou Williams. And uh, some fine trumpet on the first one by Harold Shorty Baker. He may have played trumpet on the Count as well, although it sounded a little bit forthright for him, so it might have been one of the other players. Dick Wilson played tenor sax. Some wonderful trombone playing by Ted Donnelly. And uh, clarinet, I believe, in this case, was by John Harrington on both sides. Ed Inge played a more forceful, kind of gutty style, which we heard on the Mary Lou Williams band sides a little bit earlier. And John Harrington had been playing, as I said, uh, clarinet solos with the Kirk Band since 1929. And if you want to hear a little of that early Kirk Band featuring the first Mary Lou Williams arrangements, check out my podcast, The Jazz Focus. So thank you very much for being with us today. This has been the Jazz Focus. My name is John Clark. Thank you to WETF and South Bend, Indiana, the Jazz Station. We hope you stay tuned to listen to some more jazz tonight and this afternoon and all day long and all night long. And we'll be back next week and not sure what show we're going to be doing. I'm turning a couple around in my mind, but we're going to make a a focus on some interesting element of jazz history. So thank you again and see you soon.